Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. It's Acts chapter 9, and we're going to pick up our account down in verse 32. Now it came to pass, as Peter went through all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Luda. There he found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt at Luda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. And since Luda was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and all the widows stood by him weeping, showing the tunics and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand and lifted her up, And when he had called the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. So it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon a tanner. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Okay, as we've been studying the the book of Acts, looking at the, the unveiling, if you would, of the mystery of God, that unveiling of the mystery, the mystery is the church. And so that um, God had held the, the opening up of the gospel, if you would, to the Gentiles, not as a, a total secret. He had given clues to it uh, through his prophets in the Old Covenant. But many of the Jews had missed it. And so he revealed that mystery, as we saw as we studied the book of Ephesians, to Paul. And Paul began to reveal how God had planned this from the beginning. And so as we've been studying it, the the book of Acts, we've seen that um, 1 Corinthians 12 really coming into play. So in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, we read that the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body are one body, right? Being many are one body, so also is Christ. The body that we're talking about, the church, Think about it. Is the body of Christ. We are, if you would, the outworking of Jesus Christ on the earth. That Christ is at work in this world through the church. But as the church is one, and it is one entity, it is one. So even though we see fractured in our day today, we've mentioned that, talked about that different times. The reality is that in Christ, it is yet one. But 
let's just look at our little assembly for a moment and just use it as an ex- example. So even though we are one, one body, one assembly, it is made up of many members, individuals. And God not only is using then in working through the body as a whole, but as I'm even talking to you, my Croatian side comes out and I'm very what? Expressive, you know, like with my mom, we hold my mom's hands and she can't talk, okay? Because she has, she has to use her hands, okay? And so I'm the same way. So if you come up here and hold my hands, I'm really going to be befuddled, okay? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do things, okay? And, um, and so the reality is that my body right now, I'm, I'm pacing around. So even though I'm talking, you know, I'm talking, I'm doing all these different things. And even though there is one concept that I'm, I'm working on, my whole body is doing different things at the same time. I was watching a drummer um, earlier this week at Tuesday Music Live. And drummers, good drummers, okay, always massively impress me. They are so multitask oriented. They got four different things going on in their body at one time. You know, the different feet are doing different things, hands are doing different things. But then they're thinking something else. I mean, this guy's reaching down to grab the next thing that he's doing, to put it up, to get it ready. I'm thinking, there is no way. My body doesn't work that way. But God designed that guy's body to what? Work that way. And so as we have been looking at the books of, book of Acts now, we've seen in the first so many chapters, so many chapters, that God was working in the body as a whole. He was initiating the body. He was growing the body. He was multiplying the body. But over the last couple of weeks, we've begun now to look at how he has used individuals within that same realm. Okay? And so we began looking at Philip the Evangelist. And if you saw, the map got shrunk down again, right? So, so when I did this first, we were only in Jerusalem. Okay? But then God used Philip to take the, the gospel to Samaria. And then from Samaria, he took him and sent him to the wilderness, right, on the way toward Gaza, okay? And then he raptured him, he harpazoed him, and dropped him in Azotus. And this map has Azotus here. Other maps have Azotus over on the, on the uh, coast. And from Azotus, he travels up to Caesarea. So our map kind of grows a little bit because God is using an individual to proclaim his message. But then from Philip, um, well, before Philip, we, we talked about who? Stephen. Stephen the what? The martyr. Okay, so Stephen the martyr. Then Philip. Philip starts, begins to work in the, in the dispersion. Last week, we considered the conversion of Saul. Now, we're going to talk more about Paul in the days ahead, right? But last week, from the beginning of Acts chapter 9, we saw the conversion of Saul, who was the oppressor. He was the persecutor of the church. But God knew that he was going to use this man, okay? And so God, and this is why I kind of have this kind of fainted, back up here, okay, because from Paul, we know, from Saul, we know that the gospel had spread to Damascus, because he was going to Damascus to do what? Persecute the church, right? So, so, so now we're into Damascus, but we also know that Saul was Saul of Tarsus, okay? So we get Tarsus way up here, Cilicia, okay? And as we're going to, we, we saw at the end, of last week's message, we didn't really talk about it a lot, but when they had a um, secret him away from Jerusalem because the Jews in Jerusalem wanted to kill him, they sent him off to where? Tarsus of Cilicia, okay? And so Paul goes back to Tarsus, and if Paul continued, or Saul, 
he's not Paul yet, but if he continued to do what he was doing in Damascus and what he was doing in Jerusalem, what do you think he's going to be doing in Tarsus? No, 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 not anymore. He got converted. He got converted. He ain't persecuting anymore. Okay? He's evangelizing now. So when he goes to Tarsus up in Cilicia, right, he's probably sharing the gospel. We don't know that for a fact just yet. That's just my intimation. So it's kind of a faded out map there. I think the gospel has, has definitely spread to Cilicia at this moment. Okay? Today, we're going to start talking about Peter. We're going to go back toward Peter. And uh, God has been using Peter at different times. And this isn't a surprise because Jesus had declared to Peter specifically while he was on the earth, okay, when they were up in Caesarea Philippi, okay? So Jesus was up there at Caesarea Philippi. It's also referred to as Baneas, okay, because it was a place where they worshipped the, the idols in the Roman um, in, in the Roman economy, okay? Up in Mount Hermon, there would, there's this place, and you, you can see the um, online, look it up, okay? And they still have the grottos and stuff there where the different idols and gods would be there, okay? And so Jesus has taken his disciples up there, okay? To this, to this place, okay? And so in the midst of this time that he's taking them there, Jesus turns to his disciples and he asks them, who do the people say that I am? And they say, well, some say you're John, because John has already been beheaded and dead. Some say you're, you're Elijah. Some say you're another prophet, whatever, da-da-da-da-da. And then Jesus turns and asks his disciples a specific question. But who do you say that I am? But who do you say that I am? Peter. Simon Peter. Shimon. His name is Shimon. Jesus is getting ready to call him Petra, Petros. Okay? So at this moment, he's just Simon, okay? Opens his mouth up, and he cries out to him. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He puts out this bold statement of faith. Now, do you remember way back in the beginning, I've talked about this a couple times already, when Jesus first met Peter, Jesus gave a promise. Do you remember what it was? Follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Jesus is already doing the work in them. And the first step, the first step in becoming a bold witness and really being used of Christ is having a proper faith. It's really interesting. Can anybody tell me the, the greatest command? Can you tell me, first of all, I, I just gave this away. Uh, normal, the question I like to ask people was, what is the most important verse in the entire Bible? Yeah, yeah, you know where I'm going with it, right? And so a lot of people are going to tell me John 3.16. I said, no, that's a great verse, but it's not it. Some are going to tell me Ephesians 2.8 and 9 is a great verse, but it's not it. You know, I have good, good authority what I'm going to go. And I'm going to tell you it's Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And so you're right, Shema, okay? And so the Shema is Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. But Jesus, when he was asked, what is the greatest command, said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, where it's in the, the very beginning of the Shema, with the Shema beginning in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh your God, Yahweh is one, Echad. And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your strength. And the words which I teach you this day shall be in your hearts. And you shall teach them diligently to your children. Whether you're sitting in a house, whether you're walking away, whether you're lying down, or whether you rise up. And you shall put them as a frontlet between your eyes. 
and you shall put them as a sign upon your hands. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Before you can love the Lord your God, before you can do that greatest command, before you can love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you've got to have a proper faith. You've got to know who he is. Yahweh your God, Yahweh is Ichad. He's one. Before Peter is going to be able to give his life as a living sacrifice, which is what he's going to be called to do, he's got to have a proper faith. So I'm asking you right off the bat, do you really have a proper faith? Or, or do you, is your faith in, you were in a church, you went down the aisle at the end and you said a sinner's prayer? Again, I'm from Pittsburgh, and I'm, I'm not picking on the Catholic Church, but if you go to the Catholic Church, they're going to tell you to do so many Our Fathers and so many Hail Marys. Am I right, Michelle? Yes. Okay? And, and, and by that, you know, you're going to go in and say, Father, forgive me, for I have sinned. Okay? How have you sinned, my son? And so, for Bob, there would have been tons of it. I'm glad I was Lutheran. Anyways, and so, I mean, I'd have been sitting, people, other people would be glad, because I'd been sitting in a confessional a long time. And, and so, but then they would tell me, if I was Catholic at that time, that I would go do these things. I would say prayers. I would say prayers. Baptists do the same thing. Baptistic people do the same thing. I'm just challenging you on it. If you're trusting in a prayer and not in the God who gives salvation, you may be trusting in a false object of faith. It's not about a prayer. It's about a God who brings salvation. And when Peter was asked... Who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That was a bold statement. A statement to die for at that moment. Jesus turns to him and says, And you now are Peter. And Petros means rock. You're the rock. You're going to be the rock. And upon this rock, now there's a debate there. Okay, There's the, the rock of faith. But I think it also applies to Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church. I'm not afraid of, of Peter being the first um, pope. He wasn't. That statement doesn't make him the first pope. Okay? I'm not afraid of the fact that Peter was a pillar that God used in establishing his church. And that's what we're going to see. And what we are seeing in the book of Acts. That Peter was this pillar. And so, so as we went forth, who was it that God used as the main spokesman on Pentecost? Peter. 3,000 souls were saved. Who was it that God used to, to heal the, the lame man as they were going to the temple and to be able to proclaim the message to the crowds and to the, to the uh, Sanhedrin? Peter and John. It was Peter and John then that God continued to use at different times. It took him to Samaria to, to validate the gospel. Who was it that caused Ananias and Sapphira to breathe their last breath because they had lied to the Holy Spirit? Peter. Who was it? to where people were coming and they're laying their, their sick so that maybe the shadow of him might pass through and they might be healed. Peter. Do you get where I'm going with this one? Peter is an important person that God is using. And what we're going to see in this next chapter and a half, if you would, that God is going to continue to use Peter to, 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 to expand his gospel, to expand his message, not into just Judea and all Jerusalem, which he was the, the voice there, not into Samaria, which he was the validation of it, because that's why he was sent from Jerusalem, but also into the uttermost part of the world. And this next week's message, when we get into chapter 10, is going to become huge when we get to Acts 15, 
when people are judging Paul and accusing Paul, and Peter stands up and says, no, guys, you missed it. It's all about me. It's how God's using me. So what we begin to see today is just a short little passage. It seems to be this transitional passage. But I think it's a transitional passage to, again, bring us into who Peter is and what God is doing through Peter and for future generations to give to Jews, specifically the Jews, to reveal that Peter was as much of a prophet as their prophets of old. And so the testimony of Peter is going to stand. One more aside before we get into this real quick. And some of you heard me share this before about having a Messianic um, common previous church wanted to use our assembly on a Friday night, which I don't have any problem about at all. I love Messianic congregations. But I always like to ask them what they believe about Shabbat and, and what they believe about people who worship on a, a Sunday morning. And so this man at this moment who wanted to use a facility, who was an elder in that place, um, said that I'll, I think God will give you a chance to, um, to repent at the, on, at the judgment seat. And I said, so what you're saying is that those who worship on Sunday aren't saved. Yeah. So what do you do with Colos- the, the book of Colossians? What do you do with the book of Acts? Anyways, and so the, you've heard me talk about the gnashing of teeth. I've seen the gnashing of teeth. I hate Paul! Paul should have never been in the Word. He taught lies. That's good. So my next question to him is, and many of you have heard this before, right? What do you do with Peter? Huh? Well, Peter's the apostle to the Jews, isn't he? Well, yeah. I said, well, let's read 2 Peter chapter 3. Because it's Peter who declares that all the writings of Paul are Scripture. Do you get it? It's Peter who bears testimony and validates the writings of Paul. The writings of Paul you may never have if it wasn't for Peter bearing testimony that they were Scripture. And so I think these few little verses, and we're not going to go, it's not take a long time to go through them. Well, you know, that's better than me. And so anyways, they go through it, but... But they're important because these are going to validate who Peter is to Jews and then also to us as Gentiles. So we see God working through Peter in two ways here. First of all, we see the power of God displayed through him. First of all, in the healing of Aeneas, okay? Um, The first thing we see is this analogy, this remembrance, I don't know, in your brain if it is, because he says to Aeneas um, to take up your bed and what? To walk, right? And so in my brain, this immediately goes back to Jesus. Okay? This goes back to the paralytic. Do you guys remember the paralytic in Mark chapter 2? You can go read it later and check me out on it, okay? We'll read some other passages in a little bit, okay? But this one I don't want to go back to. Um, and so his friends bring him. They, they can't get in because of the great crowd. They open up the ceiling. They drop him down below it. Jesus looks at him, and he doesn't heal him. The difference between the paralytic and Aeneas. Aeneas is healed. By Peter. What happens to the paralytic? His sins are forgiven. His sins are forgiven. And Jesus says to him, he says, your sins are forgiven. Take up your bed and walk. Right? And so, well, he doesn't say take up your bed and walk at that moment. He just says, your son, your sins are forgiven you. And so everybody's like, especially the Pharisees, they're like, oh, who can, you know, no one can forgive sins but God alone. Right? And so Jesus knows their thoughts. And he turns to them. He says, what's easier for me to say? 
your sins are forgiven. Or rise, take up your bed and walk. But so you know that the Son of Man has the power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the paralytic did what? He rose, take up his bed and walk. So what does it say about the paralytic at this moment? Think about it. That's, say it louder, Kathy. Faith. faith. Because he had to have faith that Jesus really forgave him and that by, by forgiving him, he was really what? Healed. Okay? I don't want to get into the, the catatonic state and all the kind of stuff and, and the psychology of the moment and how we do um, the, the conversion disorders and that kind of stuff. But that's all real stuff. Okay? And I can talk to you about all those kind of things. So, but, but it's all real stuff. And by healing him, by, by forgiving him, he actually healed him. Do you, do you get this? Okay. And the kid knew it. We don't know what he did. We don't know what he was thinking. But the kid knew. And he got up and he walked. Aeneas, the same way. Okay. Peter comes to Aeneas. And basically we're just told what? Peter what? He heals him. Okay. Now. We're going to see importance of this for a reason, okay? So John 5, verse 19. I'm going to read that there, beginning of verse 19. This is after the healing of the man at the pool of Bethesda on Shabbat, on the Sabbath day. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do, for whatever he, the Father, does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he, that is the Father, will show him, that is the Son, greater works than these, that you may marvel. Did you catch that one? Why is the Father doing the works through the Son? So that the people will what? Marvel. They'll understand something special is going on. He's bearing testimony. He's validating the message of the Christ through the marvels that he's doing. Are you tracking? Okay. So he goes on. He says, so you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, Jesus says the Father has given the Son the power to what? To give life. Okay? All authority comes from the Father in that Godhead, okay? But do you remember back in Matthew 16? I skipped this part. I didn't read this part at the very end where Jesus says to Peter that upon you, I'm going to build my church, right? And then he says to him as well in Matthew 18, he says, he gives them all power to do what? Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven, okay? He gives them this power, okay, that Jesus actually then received from who? The Father, okay? So within the Godhead, Okay, so Jesus even says in Matthew 28 before the Great Commission, all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go make disciples. So there's this passing down of authority that's going to happen. Okay, and the authority is being passed down in order to do these wonderful works in order that people might what? Marvel that they might know that God is at work, that God, the father has a plan that he is putting forth, okay? 
Um, John 13. You know the passage, this is Jesus, the Last Supper, okay? And this is the, the, the foot washing thing where Jesus takes off his outer garment. He washes their feet. And he says to them at the end, he says, You call me teacher and Lord, and you say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, know what things? Know what things? That a servant is not greater than his master and that you're supposed to follow his example. If you get it, if you understand that you're not greater than Jesus. Now, you say, of course, but sometimes I think we act that way. Sometimes I think we, we act like my will is more important than what? His will. That my desires are more important than his desires. But a servant never thinks that way. When I tell my new puppy, go to the corner, because she has a specific spot in the yard that she's supposed to do her potty, I expect her to do what? Go to the corner after only two weeks. It's already my expectation. Now we're still working on it. But it's my expectation. Does it make sense? I don't expect her to dawdle in the yard to go after sticks and stones and leaves and everything else, which she's a puppy and therefore she wants to do. So what do I have to do? I have to walk onto the yard and I have to get a little boop in the butt, you know, to keep her moving toward the... And so she's a shepherd, so I have to shepherd my shepherd into the, the corner, if you would, okay? While she's trying to shepherd my feet. Anyways, and so it's all a fun thing. But the, the point is, I have an expectation. I've given her a command. I've shown her. I've walked her there. I've taught her where it's at. She knows the corner. So just so everybody knows, she does know where the corner's at. And she can do it on her own. She's done it at nighttime. Praise the Lord for that. And um, where I don't have to go walking all the way back down there. You know? So she knows where her corner is already. Isn't that something? Think about it. She's a puppy dog, not a human. And after only two weeks, she got it. She understands. But, so when she chooses to what? To do something else, she's choosing not to follow the command of the master. You track where I'm going with that one? Okay, so what do you need to know? You need to know that the servant is not greater than the master, and you need to know that the servant is supposed to do what you see the master do. That's what we're supposed to do. It's pretty simple, isn't it? I got to know what the ma- got to know the master is greater than me. I got to know what master's will is, and then I got to do the will of the master. That's all pretty simple. John fourteen verses nine to fourteen. Jesus said to him, "Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not known me, Philip?" He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Would we ever say that? No, but Jesus gets it. When we're doubting this stuff, he's basically saying, look, do you really believe or not? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Wow, he's talking to one of his disciples. He says, look. If you're having a hard time believing what I'm telling you right now, Philip, look back at all the things the Father has done through me. And it ought to, by itself, make you what? Believe. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also in greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to the Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. What is the ultimate goal of signs and wonders in the church? To glorify the Father. To glorify the Father. But how does it play out then? It validates the message. Do you get it? It validates the message. What's the message? The message of good news. Do you, do you track where we're going here? There is a certain point, there's a purpose for, for what's happening here. And I'm going to bring this back to Aeneas in just one moment. Okay? Finally, Matthew 17, verses 19 to 21. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For surely I say to you, if you have faith as the size of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here, and it will also move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. What was the end result? What was the purpose of Peter healing Aeneas? What's it say there in Acts 9? What happened as a result of it? I heard somebody say, who believed? The whole community. Say it again, Luda and Sharon. So not just Luda or Lida, okay, depends on how you want to say that, right? Not just the area that specifically he was in, but the greater region, Sharon, they're all hearing what happened. Now again, our faith, our trust isn't in a what? A healing. But the purpose of the healing was to validate the the message in order to bring glory to God, not Peter. Because the servant is not greater than the master. And the authority of Peter was given to him as he stated in the name of Jesus Christ. Be healed. Do you track? So his authority came from Jesus, whose authority, if you would, as the Son of God within that Godhead, I know it's a marvelous mystery to me too, comes from the Father. It's not mine to grab the glory. I appreciate the fact that you guys didn't clap or whatever when I sang. Okay, Now that either means that it was awful and you were glad I was done, or you respect the fact that that's my heart's desire. I, I don't want glory for that. If it's a testimony, if it's an offering to God, that's an offering to God. It's not for what? It's not for Bob. That's hard, though, isn't it? Because we want what? We want a, we have glory. I wasn't. I was going to try to be nice to myself, Phyllis. I was going affirmation. Can I can I go affirmation? Because that's just kind of like oh, I feel good about myself now because you guys affirm me. No, I want glory. I mean, let's be honest. Okay? That's the hardest thing for, for me as a pastor. Okay? I, I don't want glory. I don't go to the back. I don't want you to tell me, hey, that was a great message, even if you didn't think it was because you think that's what you should do going out. I, I don't want it. I, I want to I I totally be gone. I want to do what God's called me to do, and I want to find a corner to go hide in. Does that make sense? I don't want the glory. But I want the glory. Isn't that awful? That's your flesh. Peter gets it. And Jesus said, greater works than these, you'll be able to do. What's kind of exciting is, when Jesus did the works, who was he? Who was Jesus? Say it again, louder. He's God. He's God, incarnate. 
He's God doing the works. He's got the authority from the Father, but he is what? God. Who's Peter? Not God. <laughs> Not God. That's exa- He's a man. That's exactly right. Think about it. It's one thing to do these works when you're God, and I'm not diminishing what God does for us. It's another thing for God to give the authority and the power to a man to accomplish this work. Isn't that kind of cool? And Peter didn't have it because he's special. You get it? Peter was a what? A fisherman. He was a common fisherman who was just fishing when Jesus interrupted his life. Are you willing for Jesus to interrupt your life? Stay tuned for greater works than these. And he does them in marvelous ways. Steve and I prayed. This is, seems like a little thing. I didn't want to necessarily share it in testimony time. But Steve and I prayed on Wednesday night on the porch. I won't go into the details of it, right? But God answered that prayer. Not necessarily, nowhere in the realm of what I thought how it was going to be answered. You can ask me later about it if you want, but I don't really want to go into details because it was a private situation with another individual but god answered it so specifically not in the way i would do i would have ever thought it It was like totally opposite what i would have thought but god distinctly heard my specific words and he and he worked it out that's a god thing it's a god thing and if you got more of the details you'd get it okay and i really don't want to get into them especially live on the uh on the tape okay and so just an amazing thing. So God is at work all the time. But why couldn't we do it? Why can't we do it? Oh, ye what? Little faith. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd say, cast it, mountain be cast into the sea and it'd be done for you. Now, it, assuming the, the mountain was meant to be moved, right? It's, it's not you just walk up and say, hey, tree, go. And if God doesn't want that tree to move, guess what? It's his will, not your will, okay? But if God wants you to be the the vehicle that he's going to use, okay, he's going to do it as long as you're willing to open your mouth up. And again, I've shared some of these things, and some of you have heard it, and I won't share about my brother and my sister-in-law and that kind of things. But just for Bob, I mean, Bob willing to open up his mouth and speak Spanish, and I don't speak Spanish to two little kids in Peru. He burdened me to memorize five verses on the flight from United States to Peru. I did it. I did it. I did it. God allowed me. I can't, can't, I've tried to learn Spanish. I really have. I want to reach the Latino com- community. Uh, frio, caliente. I got it. Burrito, taco. That's it. I mean, you've just now heard the extent. Uh, uh, Martinez. Yeah, I live in Martinez. Anyway, so, um, I mean, maybe a couple other words. You get it. You know, you know, si, you know, te amo. But I don't say that to you guys. You know, take care. I don't say that to you either, you know. But I learned some of those words, right? And probably words when I was a kid that I shouldn't know. Anyways, so, but the reality is, I, I mean, I'm down there in my interrupter, my translator. He's witnessing to a lady at the door, and these two little guys come up, and they need to hear the gospel. What am I going to do? I said, God, help me, help me witness. And I spoke Spanish. I laced together the, the verses that God had put together in my heart and things I saw on billboards, and I asked Joel about and that kind of stuff. And these little guys got saved. I didn't know that, but Joel, when he was, I'm yanking on Joel. Joel, I think I witnessed. Ask him. Find out what they know. They knew. And they committed their life to Christ. Now, was it real? I don't know. But all I know is at that moment, I did something that I wasn't able to do. But I asked God to do it through me. Uh, Again, I'm not gloating on myself. (laughs) 
rejoice. I mean, so hum- I was so humbled that week. I can tell you other things that God did. I didn't think God could. And God knocked my socks off. God's teaching me, look, there is nothing that you can ever think of that's beyond what I'm able to do. Do you really believe that he's able to do a seating abundantly above all that you could ever ask or think? And so if he puts it on your heart for ministry to do something for his kingdom's glory, do it. I've anointed people with oil. They didn't get healed. Me of a little faith? Maybe so. Maybe that's not what God was doing. Maybe God was just testing me to find out whether I'd do it. I don't know how it works out. All I know is I was supposed to what? Do it. I was supposed to obey. Do you get it? Peter is obeying, right? So the healing of Aeneas. Secondly, we have the raising of uh, Tabitha. And so first of all, we have the similarity to Jesus, right? Again, this is where we're going to see the full-blown, he is a prophet of God. There's no... No doubting this. There's no question about it. A Jewish person could never, ever, ever, after this moment, question the validity of of Peter as a spokesman of God. So what do we know about Jesus? We have Jairus' daughter, right? Jairus' daughter is sick. He goes, and he humbles himself because before this point, he had been negative to Jesus, okay? But he realizes that he has no other hope and he's willing to humble himself and go to Jesus. So he goes to Jesus, pushes through the crowd, and says, I need you to come to my house. My little daughter, she's dying. She's close to death. And so Jesus tells them, just, just believe, right? And so they, they start heading there, but then you got the woman with the flow of blood for 12 years. She interrupts them, right? The, the, she, she touches Jesus. Power comes out of Jesus. She's healed. Could you imagine, again, being Jairus, hearing that power had just been released? It's like, <gasps> Because he doesn't know what to believe, right? And so, so she's healed, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you, right? At the same time, now his servant, Jairus' servant, comes up and says what? Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your little girl's dead. Think about this now. Don't bother. While she had life, there was what? There was hope. But now she's dead. There is no hope. But as Jesus told Martha, he says, I am the what? resurrection and life. Jairus is about to find it out. He turns to Jairus, he says, don't grieve, only believe. And so they head on to Jairus' house. And he takes with him, who? Peter, James, and John. Peter's there. Isn't this kind of fun? Peter's there. And so, he says, Talatakuma, little girl, Arise. The little girl opens up her eyes. She sits up. And then so anticlimactic, Jesus turns to the mom and dad and says, Hey, get us some food. <laughs> but don't tell anybody what happened here. What do you mean don't tell anybody what happened here? You got all the mourners and musicians all outside wailing and all this kind of stuff and just jeering at Jesus when Jesus says, Oh, she's just sleeping. You know? And now they're gonna go out and and, and Jairus' daughter is gonna be alive. Ain't no way you, 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 you're hiding that one. What happened in there? I don't know. Um, he said, Talatakuma. He said, little girl, arise. And she got up. What do you mean she got up? All of our doctors were in there. Nothing could, nothing could heal her. I mean, this is ridiculous. What, do you, what did he really do? He spoke. Genesis chapter 1. He spoke. How cold is that? 
And Peter got to witness it. Well, that test of, was a testimony of Jesus being a real prophet as well because we have the similarity to Elijah, right? So the widow of Zarephath that Elijah was sent to to, to be fed during the feast or during the feast, during the famine, okay, during the drought, right? Her son dies, right? And so God works the miracle through Elijah to raise the widow's son from the dead. And then you have the similarity as well to, the, to Elisha with the Shunammite woman's son. Remember the Shunammite woman and her husband would offer hospitality to Elisha when he was passing through the region and they even made an upper room. Think upper room here for a moment, right? In the upper room, okay? And so whenever he would stay, he would, he would, he would, he would come by, he would stay there. Well, he wasn't there, but um, he wanted to do something for the Shunammite woman. Gehazi says, well, she doesn't, ever, she doesn't have any children. So Elisha, this is amazing to me by itself, says, by this time next year, you're going to have a child. I mean, like, who knows that they have that kind of power? Well, apparently he, knows big, he knew by God that God was going to allow him to be able to proclaim this, right? So think, just think of that. I mean, we're talking about not just healing somebody. We're talking about telling a woman that she can have a birth, she's going to have a baby by this time next year. You're either a real prophet this time next year or you're a false prophet. I mean, that's really putting your uh, ministry on the line, isn't it? She has the baby, right? Son grows up, son dies. So she runs and goes to Elisha and says, why have you done this to me? I didn't have a kid before, I didn't have this pain, but now I have a kid and the kids die. What do you want me, what, what, what's, what's about this? Elisha gives his rod. <laughs> He's trusting in magic, y'all. He's trusting in his rod. He says, there's a rod that God He's going to put it on the, on the kid. Because he's thinking that, you know, if he puts the rod on the kid, the kid will come alive, right? The kid doesn't come alive. By the time he gets there, the kid's still so alive. So he goes up, and he puts everybody out. And he goes in there, and he's praying, and he lays himself out flat on the, on the sun, right? And finally, the, the sun becomes alive. Do you see the, 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 the analogy to what just happens here with Peter and with, with Tabitha? He puts everybody out of the what? Upper room. Upper room. She's certifiably dead. When they get there, I mean, it's like they're having the, the, the wake because everybody's telling them what? What a great seamstress she was. What a great woman she was. I mean, this is kind of like they're having the, the, the visitation type thing, okay? And so here, now here's Peter. He's, he's just a little bit late to do anything. But they have it in record now that there's a possibility for what? People to raise from the dead. And again, it's one thing if you're God on the earth. It's another thing if you're a prophet of God. And at this moment, Peter's prophethood, if you would, is established. It's validated. Because God uses Peter to do the impossible. To do the impossible. In raising Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, from the dead. And what do we see as a result from this again? What to say at the end? People start to believe. Again, the whole goal of this is to substantiate the gospel message. If it's only about, if, if, if you're looking for signs and wonders only to make yourself feel good or to make you feel good about your own salvation, you're looking for the wrong things. 
we don't have time to go into 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and talking about how the Jews seek after signs. It's not a matter of seeking after signs to feel good about myself. The whole goal of signs and wonders is to establish the gospel message. And that's what we've seen in the book of Acts. Every time it's happened, it's so that the, the word of Christ, the word of the gospel, can grow or multiply to go forth. Okay? So quickly on this last part, and it is quick actually, the hand of God guiding Peter. First of all, there's two sizes going back through the passage, okay? And this is talking about how God works in us to guide us. First of all, we see Peter. Peter made decisions of where he was going to go. What we're, we're told is that Peter made a decision to start going down that way, okay? It's, he's just, while he's going, while he's traveling, he winds up happening on this location, okay? So Peter, in some manner, now we're not told why, maybe he felt like God was calling him to go that way, I don't know, but in my mind, it, it, the, the whole focus of, of the beginning of this passage is on Peter, that Peter was making a decision to go this way. Okay? Peter had made a decision. He was traveling this way. And being in the way, God was going to what? God was going to redirect him. God was going to move him. And that's the second part we see, the direction of God. That as Peter is going, God is going to continually redirect Peter to the specific spot he's going to want him. What we would refer to as interruptions to our plans. I don't know what Peter's plans were. He was off doing something, going someplace, but then all of a sudden he had people interrupt him, right? And bring him over to Joppa, right? And so now he's staying at Simon uh, Simon of Tanner's house. And next week we're going to find out that he's going to be what? Interrupted again. I mean, he was interrupted from his interruption because now he's going to go to Caesarea. I don't know where he was going originally. All I know is that he was traveling the, the region. Maybe he was just going out, just trying to make a big circle and, and, and proclaiming the gospel. But God said, no, I have some specific things for you, like he did with Philip. Philip went off to Samaria. God used Philip in Samaria. But then God specifically told Philip, now I want you to go off to that desert road. And he had an appointment there with the Ethiopian eunuch. And then he was done with the Ethiopian eunuch. He was harpazoed. He was snatched up, snatched, and deposited as Otis. Quick point, but it's a powerful point. Are you available for God to redirect you? Are you willing for God to redirect you? Are you willing to go where God wants you to go? To do what God wants you to do? Can I challenge you? that people's eternal lives may be at stake and whether you're willing to obey or not. So in the end, do you believe that God is able to accomplish whatever he should choose through you? If he wanted to raise the dead through you, I'm not saying he's going to, but if he wanted to, I mean, could you imagine Peter? I'm sorry. Healing people, that's one thing. Raising people from the dead, that's, that's only something God can do. But Peter was what? He was willing. He didn't know how it was going to turn out. But he was willing to do what God called him to do. Are you seeking to be set apart to him, to Christ, in order that you will be prepared for the moment? This kind only comes by prayer and fasting. That means you need to be preparing ahead of time. Are you reading his word? Are you praying? Are you fasting? Are you asking God to use you in a mighty way? Or do you just want to go through life like fat, dumb, and happy 
Like, well, as long as I get to the end of the, my, my time, that's, I'm good. Jesus said, look, you're going to get judged in the end. This is for real. And you're going to give an account for what you've done with the gifts that he's given to you. And he gets down to the last guy, and he says, well, I know that you're hard and all this kind of stuff, and so I took that talent you gave me, and I dug a hole, and I buried it. How does Jesus respond to him? How does the master respond to him? You lazy, you wicked servant. You knew what I required of you. You knew my expectations. And yet you chose not to do it. Take what he has and give it to the one who had ten. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that when I get there. That song I sang, Hymn of Heaven, How I Yearn to Breathe the Air of Heaven is for Real. I love that song. I mean, it wasn't mine. I didn't hear it first. Anna heard it and, and, and said it to me. But man, as I've, I've just sung that thing like ad nauseum over and over and over again. Um, it's just running through my brain at nighttime and stuff like that. And it's like, is that really? Are you yearning for that? Are you yearning to be in his presence? To walk by his side for all of eternity? If you are, it's going to change how you live this life. Because this life is just going to be an extension of what that is. But if you think this is cool, this is great, this is everything, then you're going to live everything you, all your life for whatever you can get out of this life. And you're going to be miserable for all of eternity. Are you trusting in God to guide your steps and paths? Are you willing to go where he sends you? Is there then a need to change the way you think and then change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you that you want to use simple men and women like us. You have chosen the weak things of the world to confound the wise. You have chosen the things that are not in order to confound the things that think they are. Lord, I pray that you would help me, help us individually and then as an assembly to be willing to, by faith, trust you in the things that only you can do. Only you can save a soul. But I know you want to use me to communicate your gospel. So help me, Father, to open up my mouth. To help me to be obedient, to go and to proclaim your message. Help me to proclaim it in love, not in judgment. Help me to love others as you have loved me. Help me to be bold. And I pray that for us as an assembly, that we would be bold, bold, to go where you send us, to speak what you put before us. And Lord, if it is even toward a sign or a wonder, even though that may not be in the realm of my theologies, Lord, to know that it's yours and that you can do exceeding abundantly above all that you could, we could ever ask or think. Lord, that we would seek to lay up treasures in heaven and not on this earth. That we would seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. That we would set our, our minds on things above where Christ is in the heavenlies. That we would forget the things which are behind and reach forward to the things which are before. That we would press toward the mark for the prize of the upward call in God in Christ Jesus. That we would go where you tell us to go. Lord, that you would do marvelous things. For you are worthy of all these things in Christ's name. Amen.